Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets, ideas change the world. We are in an ever changing world. Change is a constant of life. But at the end of the day, we're also leaders. We're CEOs, we're part of the executive team. And we're being challenged like never before to possibly reimagine who we are. And in the context of two things we can't afford to lose or um, have disrupted is our people in our infrastructure all over the world. So I brought in a CEO and president of a global risk advisory firm. Uh, they're much more than that. But at the end of the day, when you bring this CEO and this president to the table, you are getting an executive leadership lesson in how to think about those issues. The gentleman's name is Dale Buckner from Global Guardian. Hi, Dale. How you doing, Ron? Good to see I, you. I'm, I'm doing fantastic, especially with you on the line. And we're going to have a li our little sip of something, something sitting by the fireplace at my house. And we're going to have a great conversation. And, and Dale, I got to tell you, what's front of mind for me is that issue of change. Um, when you sit down with executives, whether they're CEO or CSO or CISO today, are they struggling with that issue of, a, of thinking in a new way about leadership in this time? Well, of course, I think everyone is. And I think this applies to any leader across the board, government, private, family office, uh, corporate, it, it, it applies because all of our lives globally have material change over the last two years. And all of the changes we went through starting in March of 2020, we all kind of pivoted. Typically, most companies started to move. And in about 90 days, we started to resettle into the new normal of what you would call the new normal. Well, that change back, it, although it has been pushed to the right several times now, we thought September the kids would go to school, corporate headquarters would come back to life, and the Delta variant pushed us. We get through 60, 90 days of that. We're now looking at winter, and the Omicron uh, variant pushes it to the right. I now think that leaders are being forced to think that this is more material than they thought. It's lasted longer than they anticipated, lasts longer than we anticipated, admittedly. And now, statistically, as you look at interviews with CEOs, they're showing um, that, you know, the Google CEO is saying 50% of his workforce will be working from home uh, by 2030. Like, this is truly the change. And with the human condition, all of us we don't like change. It's the world we live in. And the ones that are comfortable with uncertainty, the ones that are comfortable with change, ultimately end up being the most successful. That's right. So I, I think that, you know, is really, really important to recognize in the world we live in. We're all connected. Things are moving faster than ever. In the last 30 years, our lives have materially changed in how we operate with our family, within our business life, so on and so forth. And ultimately, this concept of change is difficult. The ones who can manage it and get through and find the opportunities to get to the other side will be the ones that are successful. Um, and I think that generically is the environment we're in today. So 20 something years ago, when I first was introduced to the security industry, uh, first of all, struck by the servant leader heart 
and uh, nature of the people in that industry. Uh, but also, uh, the reason I decided to stick around and invest myself in the industry is because uh, they weren't seen as senior advisors to the CEO. Mm -hmm. they, they didn't have a value proposition except wait for the next event to scare the bejesus out of the corporate team to get the budget, right? That, 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 so I said, my, I don't think that's right. I think if anybody at the table I want, if I'm a CEO, is the right kind of security leader, because if my true job is to manage risk and opportunity, I want him as a senior advisor in that. Now, that was 20 years ago. Has that changed, Dale? Are they starting to see, uh, first of all, are we as a security community and leadership ready for that advisory role? And two, are we now doing it? So Ron, I'd start with CEOs have no choice. That you are now in a position where you have to think in terms of what is in the realm of possible. No one predicted 9-11, no one predicted you know, World War II, no one predicted the Paris attacks, no one predicted the fall of uh, Kabul, Afghanistan this past year. No one saw the, the entire Indian healthcare uh, system fall apart eight months ago. Uh, and I'm certain no one anticipated Vladimir Putin and Russia going as far as they have just in the last three weeks. This is how fast this is moving now. So add in cyber attacks, add in domestic issues, add in the uncertainty of working from home at, at a large scale and what that means. Ultimately, to answer your question very directly, successful CEOs are now focused on what's in the realm of possible, which leads to a truly valuable chief security officer, a truly valuable CISO in the cyberspace, a truly valuable HR director, no longer is sitting in their office thinking that insurance and policy is going to get them through because insurance and policy don't translate to the real world. Um, and they don't min move in minutes and hours. Insurance is there now simply as a financial insulation for your firm. But whether it's medical, whether it's cyber, whether it's security, it's not going to move in real time and it's not going to provide the outcome you need. And I think if you had a CSO that was very, for example, focused on, infrastructure and camera surveillance and unarmed guards at the front door, it's not enough. That clearly, if they're not connected as a system and you're not thinking in terms of what is in the realm of possible in my lobby, if you're an HR director that's not thinking in terms of what is in the realm of the possible on a global basis, and am I going to take care of my employees, even if they're local nationals. This, these are the, the accelerated conversations we're having where now global reach doesn't mean you have a vendor who can deploy people after the fact. COVID proved that that model of having expats deploy after Afghanistan, after the Turkey coup, after the Paris attacks, after the bombing in Sri Lanka, um, that model is no longer viable because COVID showed once airspace closes, once borders close, you either have the asset and country to provide the support you need, or you don't. That's and right. if you don't, you're sunk and you're in trouble now. So I think ultimately speed matters, capability on the ground, knowing what that is and getting rid of the old static models of insurance and vendors that aren't integrated is where all of this is headed. Well, the other thing that I was struck by you in, in, um, in many of your uh, briefings is you've done something that 
I haven't heard, quite frankly, in 20 years. I mean, it's one thing to say I have assets on the ground locally, mm -hmm. but you connected it to something that I know from my history lessons and my strategy sessions, and that is those assets also know the culture and the language because yeah. culture and language can dictate what is possible, right? Yep. Tell me more about that. How? Yeah. Why, why are you one of the few people who have connected that very thing? Because culture changes the language. Yeah. So, Ron, I'll answer this in two buckets. Uh, the why is of my background, very simply, and, and I won't go deep into this, but I ran, you know, my special forces career, whether it was Honduras, El Salvador, Colombia, Bahrain, Kuwait, Russia, and or Afghanistan, Iraq. In special forces, you learn early in that process of what they put you through that a small group of expats, if you put it in corporate terms, as leadership and oversight, managing literally a few thousand local nationals who speak the language, understand the culture, most importantly, have connections into the local government military. Establish can, the network. Establish the network. They can move mountains and do things that ex-Secret Service, ex-FBI, ex-CIA, ex-Special Forces could never, ever get done. Um, and I think that's the first lesson. And we thought back in 2011, when we were building the model, I interviewed a sports channel, not to be named. I interviewed one of the largest banks in the world, not to be named. And I interviewed one of the largest private oil companies in the world from the US and Dallas and just said, tell me what works and then tell me what doesn't. And, and what was very uniform in the response was sending an X whatever, you know, XSAS out of London into Turkey. Well, if he doesn't speak the language and he doesn't have the cultural understanding, he's window dressing. He's not really capable. And at best, he can get advice from the embassy or the consulate and, you know, the Western Intel folks, maybe. Um, but that does not translate to men in armored vehicles, men and women that are armed with capabilities of language and culture and understand how to navigate that terrain when you have to get people out of a bad situation. And I think that light bulb went off in 2011 and we thought, okay, if we can connect the local national network with that provides real depth and real capability with an expat oversight, now you have Western values and Western communication, uh, now you've got Nirvana. And the tagline we use is we can move in minutes and hours when it takes days and weeks for others or government entities to move. And I think that's where that comes from. So the background and kind of the modeling of why that's best in class versus I'm going to deploy an X, whatever, CIA, FBI, whatever it is, it's great, but it's limited and it's slow. And I think that's the change in the paradigm is understanding that if you put expat leadership over it for maintenance of vehicles and training and compliance and legality, you can now find yourself in that position of nirvana where you get the best of all worlds. So funny, Dale, uh, what struck me when I first entered the security industry is I had been in many different market sectors, Dale. Risk resilience security was the one industry where seconds matter. Yeah. Right? Seconds yeah. matter. It could, it, everything can move on a, on a dime, just like that. Right. Yeah. Um, so let's go back to, I've been asked 
to interview um, the security team, as well as my executive management team to do a first level and high level assessment of their ability, uh, first of all, whether they took the two years they've been given, and I'm gonna say it's a blessing for a second, executives, oh, yeah. my, my executives who listen to me. The, this has been a blessing actually the last two years because it's accelerated some things that are already in play that you weren't paying attention to, like work from home. It's accelerated some things you haven't been paying attention to, like sickness really is a weapon. Uh, ask any HR person, half a trillion dollars a year, uh, the impact of sickness on companies. Uh, it's accelerated uh, the notion that you can't, you know, forget the politics, you can't get away from environmental, geopolitical, your people are on the road. And finally, we talk about culture and language. Yep. Just for a minute, I'll throw you a little curveball. Uh, I might just speak a different language. I may have modalities and values at my house that look a lot different than my corporate environment. And now I'm working from home. Yep. So back to assets on the ground digitally too, how do, how do I moderate that and how extensive will my duty of care go? Yeah. Right. Because if yep. violence happens in the home, it's still violence in the workplace now. So that that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. So I'm going to hire you to come do a high level assessment, find out what they've done over the last two years, how they're thinking about risk, resilience and security in context. Ready, Dale? Yep. Of competitive advantage. Yep. Right. Yep. Uh, I just sent a note to my two daughters. I can't tell you the companies, but they're very large yep. in the digital space. And I uh, sent them a note on Taiwan. And the fact that most of the semiconductor high-end chips are coming out of Taiwan, and we all know what's going on with Taiwan right now. And I said, what are you going to do about it? You, as marketing leaders, need to be advising your CEO that this could disrupt everything associated with your business model. You need to be advising them. Yep. So, so risk is now my strategic advisory, part of my strategic advisory to the executive team. How would you approach that? Would you say to your people, I know you're dealing with XYZ company, but I need 15 minutes with the CEO. I need to start there. Is that the new change in your business model? Yeah, I think 100% is you have to, we call it the so what question here. You have insurance, you have vendors, you have a supply chain. You might, you know, you have a limited number of assets around the world in, in, in infrastructure. The question, the, the macro, very simple question, but loaded question is, so what? What does that mean for your duty of care from your now dispersed workforce? What does that mean to your cyber risk? If you had enterprise level security in the offices that you own around the world, right? You know, from the US and then out, and you felt very comfortable and your CISO felt very comfortable that was locked down in a very good spot. Now you have potentially hundreds to thousands of employees around the world working from home. Has anybody checked their router, the security of that? Has anybody measured the Wi-Fi? Does it go to the apartment below, up, down? If they live in a neighborhood, does it go to the street? Is anybody monitoring the VPN in real time? Real time, so that if your employee hits a, a hot link and it's a honeypot to China or Russia or North Korea or wherever, you can shut that system down and wipe that laptop and wipe that cell phone in real time 
so they can't get any deeper. Uh, how do you now address duty of care? I think the platform for an HR director and a chief security officer of what they did for a traveler now applies to your entire dispersed workforce working from home. Brilliant. That, that you do think about this in very simple terms. You have the platform for tracking, check-in, communication, guidance, medical, all those things are, are in place for travelers. You need to pivot that domestically and abroad so that you're now providing all those services from all your employees that work from home. And then lastly, for the worker, you talked about competitive advantage. What are your policies going to be? What is the work from home status? Do you give them a stipend for an increased electric bill? That bill that used to be taken care of in the office, now they're eating that bill. That bill for all of the electronics and all of the things they're going to have to do online and the software and all those things that they're now paying for. This long term, eventually that will be, it's going to have to be addressed or you'll lose competitive advantage, right? And, and all of these things, and I think the last key point on working from home is there is clearly, statistically, people are being interviewed now. 22% are saying, look, I'm lonely. I'm not connected. It's leading to mental uh, struggles, if you will. Mental stability and mental health now matter. P from a pure policy standpoint, yes, the HR director has insurance and things like that. How are we going to cut that out? And how are we going to offer counseling to people working from home to make them stable and secure and feel good about themselves and work in this environment? Because if you work all day from your home office or in your house, unplugging is even more of a challenge now because you used to have the 40 minute commute or the train ride or the whatever that allowed you to decompress. Now it's you go from work, 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 and then the kids and the dog come in and the husband and the wife and it's chaos, right? So there's all of these new challenges that, to go back to your original point, Ron, these are challenges that we haven't worked through just yet. Policy-wise, people are just starting to think about it, but frankly, they're pushing it to the right until they get the go that we are going to bring people back in, and then we're going to determine the accounts can work from home, the marketing team can work from home, certain level of the IT folks can work from home. That hasn't been solidified just yet. And I think, again, to your point, you made this earlier, the two-year respite we've had with COVID was an opportunity if, and this is the big if, if you took advantage of it. Did you relook your insurance policies and push back and say, look, I thought I was covered medically and then COVID hit and I realized I read the restrictions and I wasn't covered for a pandemic. I really didn't truly understand that. I really didn't understand that once borders closed, I wasn't covered. Or if you relook your vendors who said, I can provide medical security, cyber, so on and so forth, and then COVID hit and it failed. Have you relooked that network and have you made changes? That's kind of the calculus of, yes, you've had two years. This really you know, failed a lot of people. Have we made those changes and have we provided the structure and created real policy for what not today looks like, but six months from now, six years from now, so on and so forth. And I think that's the calculus that has to be going on. So again, some firms have done really, really well in the last two years and pivoted and pivoted and pivoted and are actively trying to seek out those so what questions and answer them. Others are kind of waiting and they're going to get caught behind. It's inevitable. And I think that's macro view of what's happening in that, you know, whether you took advantage of the two years or not. 
your technology infrastructure to do all those things. You know, I, I'm almost, I lived in the software world for quite some time in my early years. And, you know, we used to hire who, people who were experts in the user experience, right, to deliver our products. So in a sense, it, it just dawned on me, we, we might want to consider now as leaders having someone who is really in charge of the work from home experience, if you yeah. will. What is the experience we're going to give them, which by the way, includes mental health and it better because it was one thing to deal with disengagement when you had the people inside the building. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine what an insider threat looks like outside the building. That's right. That's exactly right. No question about it. I, I really think if 50% of a global firm's employee base is going to work from home, 50% to your point, Ron, you're going to, someone has to be in charge of that. Like someone has to be thinking every day of those challenges, right? How do we take care of them? How do we make this work right. in the digital landscape, the physical landscape, the mental, the health landscape, all those things. And then what's the policy behind it. And then how do we account for that financially? And I don't think that we're there yet. This is, this is going to take some time. Um, because we're all on different paths. So what the new normal looks like, depending on industry, depending on global footprint, depending on travel, so on and so forth. So every company will have their own challenges based on what they do and how they do it and where their people and infrastructure is at. Um, there's no cookie cutter here, I, I don't think. I, I think you'll have principles, of course, that apply uniformly, but I don't think there's a cookie cutter approach to this. And I really do think this is the struggle Going back to your original comment, it's the leaders who will think through this. They will be decisive. They will take action knowing this is going to iterate and iterate and iterate and iterate over time to then solidify and then kind of settle into their normal. They're not there yet, I don't think, at scale. So if you're a leader of an organization today, what you just heard, if you really pick it apart, is... Uh... When you hire a Dale Buckner, it's not just for security posturing. It's to help your company become more adaptive, resilient, to go on the offensive, if you will, instead of just the defensive. Dale Buckner, this has been a great conversation. I very much appreciate your time, and I'm looking forward to chatting with you with an update when we, uh, when we finally have another variant down the line. <laughs> yes, sir. Thank you, Ron. Hopefully that's not the case, but I enjoyed the time. I appreciate it very much.